Hello, and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note ask any question, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. Welcome to week 39. We are in Esther chapters 6 through 10, Ezra chapters 7 through 10, Nehemiah, Psalms 126, and the book of Malachi. Our timeline is 473 BC to 430 BC approximately, and let's get started. The Book of Esther. So when we left off, Haman is ready to kill Mordecai, but has a banquet with the king and queen he must attend first, obviously. But before that can happen, as well, Xerxes hadn't been able to sleep the night before and had been looking at previous records because, to be fair to him, nothing would be more boring than hearing the day-to-day minutes of the things that had happened. But lo and behold, while reading, he found out Mordecai had kept him from being assassinated and was like, we gotta do something for this guy. And who enters the court then but good old Haman? And as Xerxes was like, hey, uh, Haman, what should we do to celebrate a man that the king delights to honor? Well, who else would the king be honoring but him, Haman thought, right? So, of course, Haman lists out uh, the things he wants. And Xerxes is like, that is fantastic. Can you go do that for Mordecai? Um. (laughs) This is truly one of the best stories ever. So... So sorry. So afterward, Haman is just beside himself that he was so lowered to do such a thing and bemoans it all to his wife and friends. Meanwhile, his wife is like, yeah, at this point, it would do you well to not stand against the man because he will be your downfall. But before she could continue, it was time for the banquet. Then at the banquet, Xerxes is like, hey, Esther, sweet girl, what's going on? Esther bats her eyelashes and says to him how there is someone who is trying to kill her and her people. Xerxes explodes and is like, WTH, Becky, what do you mean? Who would do that? Esther's like, ah, that asshat over there, Haman. The king cannot even and leaves for a moment. Haman, knowing that his fate is sealed, begs Esther to have mercy. But in the process, pulls over her, which is right when the king walks back in and is like, oh no, bro. He calls his men over and they're like, hey, king, did you also know that Haman has put a pole in his front yard and he was going to use it to kill Mordecai, who saved you? And Xerxes is like, nah, nah, he could be impaled on it. And he was. Now, as great as all this was, and Esther was so happy and just loving on the king for having saved them. The problem was that in their bylaws, the Medes and the Persians, that once the king had made an edict, even he can't overturn it. So the Jews were still in trouble, but not to worry because he had hired Mordecai, who sent out another edict saying that the Jews could arm themselves and fight back. So if anyone really wanted to kill them, it was a mess around and find out situation. And while some haters had a death wish, most didn't. So they were safe. And in the end, the Jews were saved and Xerxes imposed a tribute to Mordecai to be kept on record so everyone throughout history would know how cool this dude was. 
seriously love the book of Esther. All right, back to Ezra chapters seven and eight. So now we are at the time of Artaxerxes, which is Xerxes' son, uh, probably with Vashti, but uh, Esther's stepson all the same. And Ezra now comes to Jerusalem. He has a copy of a letter from King Artaxerxes so that the haters can kiss it and let the Jews do what God commanded. And, and Artaxerxes gave them money, much like his grandfather Darius did. Then we see that this is a second exodus from Babylon as families came with Ezra this time. They got their priests, temple workers, and everyone else together to pray to God for provisions and safe travels as they made their way back to Jerusalem. Ezra chapters 9 and 10, then poor Ezra has a Moses moment because the leaders come to him and tell him that they that while they have exiles, those exiles have married into or married off their families to all the tribes that Israel has been against. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, Egyptians, and the Amorites. So he tears his robe and cloak and even pulled out hair from his head and beard and sat down appalled. Kelly, side note, this is not overkill, by the way. It does seem a bit traumatic, but here you are trying to lead Israel back to Jerusalem because they had been exiled, taken captive because of their sin and lawbreaking, and not even all the horrible things they suffered kept them from doing what God had commanded them not to do. And what on earth is Ezra supposed to do with them then? And then at the sacrifice, he is still just so sickened by this that he just falls to his face and cries out for help because of the sin that has been committed against God. And he was so upset because here God was being gracious to them and they still chose to sin against him. And while Ezra is pouring his heart out to God about the sin, the people overhear and realize how unfaithful they had been to their God as well. But they said whatever God decided to do about their sin, they would abide by. Ezra, still very upset by this, went from there where he fasted as he prayed for wisdom. In that time, the Jews already back in Jerusalem sent a letter that said, if you don't come back in three days time, you forfeit your property. So Ezra then has everyone who has sinned against God by marrying foreign women and the priest would deal with them. Go to the head of every family and case by case on what should be done. And he lets the priest take care of it. And a list was put together. And then we start the book of Nehemiah. Now, originally, and for most Jews, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are not separate. They are one. So the story continues with Nehemiah. So when we meet Nehemiah, who hears about his fellow countrymen and the fact that they are having so much trouble, their gate is broken and it's just a mess. We also learn the reason that he hasn't left is he is the king's cupbearer, Artaxerxes, and that was a job you died at or were killed at. You never left. And so Nehemiah prays to God over what can be done to help Jerusalem. Now, through Artaxerxes' conversations with Nehemiah, we can tell he acts a lot like his dad in a few respects. And Nehemiah is so sad about what he has heard that he can't hide it on his face, which, by the way, was a big no-no. You were to always be cheerful in front of the king, especially when serving him. But Artaxerxes notices and is like, hey, buddy, what's going on? I've never seen you look sad before, which kind of freaks Nehemiah out because this could be his death. But he tells him what is going down. Artaxerxes is like, what is it that you want? And Nehemiah prays to God and goes for it and tells him all he wants. Artaxerxes is like, yeah, when will you be back? And Nehemiah gives him a time, also asks him for help, and it pleases Artaxerxes to do so. Which, good thing Nehemiah had asked for that help as we meet our new haters, Sanballat and Tobiah. Kelly, side note, please go listen to the Pastor Paul Shepherd's sermons about dealing with these two. 
chef's kiss. So Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem and starts looking at what is going on and where to start the work. He meets up with the leaders and says, hey, we got to get to work. The king has sent me with resources. They were like, yeah, let's do this. But of course, Sanballat and Tobias act like the Karens they are and try to mock and ridicule them for starting to fix the city. Nehemiah is like, yeah, whatever, guys, we got stuff to do and this has nothing to do with you. So move on like the annoying gnats that you are. In Nehemiah 3 and 4, all of the Jews get to work and start rebuilding everything. And because God was with them, those who were the actual contractors got to work on the bigger things and everyone else started building their part right there where their homes were. Meanwhile, the haters were so upset with the progress, they started making fun of it, of course, saying things like, a fox could walk on that wall and it would fall down, blah, blah, blah. Nehemiah just prayed that God would take care of them and return the insults back to them, but continue to work and the wall reached half its height. And everyone was working really hard, which if that is your wall and in front of our house, you're going to do the best. So yay for wisdom. Then things started turning ugly and Sam Ballot and Tobias got their friends and started making real threats to the Jews as they continued to do their work. But it didn't stop them. They added guards around where the weak points were and then made sure there were guards at all times and armed the citizens so they could be safe while they continued to build the walls. Nehemiah 5 and 6, <laughs> I swear the worst are always from your own people. So it comes to Nehemiah's attention that his fellow Jews were reselling their own people because they were taxing the poor to the point that they had to sell themselves to eat. Nehemiah was like, oh no, and called the officials to task for doing such horrendous things and was so on point, no one could say anything because it was all true. And Nehemiah has them give it all back to the ones that they had taken from, and they said they would. Then Nehemiah says to the officials, if anyone does not give back, may they be taken and shaken out and emptied. Furthermore, Nehemiah did not eat anything that was meant for the governor like some of his predecessors and even invited a host of people to eat with him. And he continued to work. This was a true leader. Of course, as that matter was taken care of, here comes Sam Ballot and Tobias making problems yet again. First, they tried to get Nehemiah away, and he was like, yeah, I'm working, so no. And then they were like, there are major rumors out there that y'all are planning a revolt. Nehemiah's like, that is the dumbest thing I've heard of. No, we aren't. And then when Nehemiah is doing right and going to visit a shut-in, that dude tries to get him to go to the temple and Nehemiah realizes that he has been hired by Sam Ballot and Tobias. He gets out of there and continues to finish the work. And then boom, the wall is completed. Nehemiah 7 through 10, once the wall was built and Jerusalem was safe, Nehemiah gives orders on what to do for the city. It was also now large and spacious and God laid it on Nehemiah's heart to do registration for all the families. And so that is what is done and everyone settles in their, their towns and homes. Then Ezra reads the law. As he reads it to everyone, they start to understand just what was being read. They praise God for all he had done. And since it was a time of celebration, Nehemiah had the people feast and enjoy the time. Then Day after day, all the books were read so everyone would understand what Ezra read from the book of the law. As this is done, the people begin to truly understand how much they had sinned against God and begin to weep and cry for forgiveness from God and to make a new agreement with God about how they will follow him or they deserve their punishment. Furthermore, they will not neglect the house of their God. Nehemiah 11 through 13. Then they all cast lots to see who will actually live in Jerusalem versus the towns that they are from. After they did that, then they registered who stayed where. Then the wall was dedicated and boy, what a celebration that was. But to be fair, they built it fast and faced a lot of opposition for it. So I think it was well-deserved. Then we find out for a while Nehemiah wasn't in Jerusalem but was back with his king Artaxerxes and found out that there were friends of Tobias who were not um, 
doing the right thing. So Nehemiah asks the king if he can go back and fix some issues. So Nehemiah goes back and all those promises made before, yeah, they were looking past some of that, but not on Nehemiah's watch. He calls them all out on what is going on, fixes the situation, and puts in punishments for wrongdoing. And all he asks is that God remembers how he tried to do right. And since we still have the book of Nehemiah, we see that God did remember. On to the book of Malachi. So Malachi happens after the temple is built, but is more than likely a contemporary of Nehemiah and Ezra's. Um, we see the people ask if God loves them, and God's like, I've shown you my love for you time and time again. But if you will notice all the things that you do that are not what I commanded you, how can I bless what is wrong? And then he talks specifically to the priests and holds them and a higher accountability because of men who should know and read the word, they too are participating in the same sins that the people are. Then we see what else the people are doing by marrying unbelievers, which goes against God's covenant, and then also having unjust divorces. They were also withholding tithes, robbing God. They speak arrogantly against God. But God tells the faithful remnant that they will be his treasured possessions and that he will act and they will see again the distinction between righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. And then God has Malachi remind them that the day of judgment is coming. And that is the end of the Old Testament. It will be 400 years that pass between this word and when the Gospels begin. During this time is when Alexander the Great conquers the world and the empires we learned about in Daniel come to pass. So this is where we end today. If you have any reactions, thoughts, questions, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com. Have a most fabulous week, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.